I did not coordinate with Hannah, but I do want to ask you about your favorite game show. They, I read an article this week about the 12 top game shows of all time. Some of them are older, and so how many of you remember watching or hearing about Name That Tune? You ever remember that? Oh, yeah. A lot of older people here, huh? <laughs> the Newlywed Game? Yes. What's My Line? Wow, you are old. All right. More modern. Who wants to be a millionaire? Is that your final answer? Wheel of Fortune? Number one, by far, Jeopardy was number one. As Hannah said, let's make a deal. Price is right. Hollywood Squares, Password, $10,000 Pyramid, Match Game, Family Feud. But you may not have heard of this one because it's one of the oldest. So I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand because it would tell too much about your age. To tell the truth. Oh, yeah, to tell the truth, right? I told you not to raise your hand. If you remember the show, it was a celebrity panel, and they were asked questions uh, to the three contestants. One of them was telling the truth, and two were imposters. There was always some sort of unique occupation of, you know, the person that was being asked the questions. And they would go back and forth. At the end, the celebrity panel had to decide who was it, who was the one who was actually telling the truth. And they always did this little thing at the end, if you weren't really sure who it was, and they would say, were the real, true so-and-so rate stand up and they had all kind of have been there they rate kind of like get up a little bit and, and then finally the real one would really stand up and you'd know exactly who it was the other two were imposters john 4 is john's version of to tell the truth he wants to tell us the truth about true worshipers if you read john's gospel there are a lot of imposters. There are people who say they believe in Jesus, but in the end, they really do not. They kind of like they're going to stand up, but really, ultimately, they have to stay seated because they're not true worshipers at all. We well, might ask then, what is a true worshiper? Well, well, the word true in John's gospel can be used a couple different ways. One is negative, true meaning not fake, because if there are true worshipers, obviously there have to be fake or false worshipers, and there are many of them, perhaps today, some here. But it also means, true means genuine, real, we would say, and that's the positive. And it's used this way. John 1, 9, Jesus is the true light. 6.32, he is the true bread. 6.55, he is true food and drink. 15.1, he is the true vine. And, of course, he is 17.3, the true God. See, he uses true to say, see, he's the genuine thing. He's the real McCoy, we might say, the original, the authentic. There's no doubt that this is what it really is all about. So you have to ask yourself the question, and I'm going to ask it for you and to you today, and that is this, are you a true worshiper? No, I, I didn't mean that you don't worship from time to time. See, you say, Pastor Walker, I think I'm a true worshiper. Um, I'm here today, right? Um, I brought my Bible. You know, I've been religious ever since I was a little kid. My, my parents took me to church. My family's been going to church for years and years and generations, I even may have a Jesus or a fish sticker on my bumper. So all those things are well and good. 
But can I tell you this kindly? That on the day that God asks us at the end of the, can I say, the game show of life, when he asks the true worshipers to stand, those won't be the criteria that he's looking for to be a true worshiper. See, a true worshiper is someone who worships God through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his life and death and resurrection that we sang about this morning. See, that changed worship forever. Let me show you what I mean by that. In our text alone, it's really five verses. And in those five verses, listen, 10 times, 10 times in five verses, the word word worship or worshiper is used. Ten times. We might understand this because in John's gospel, only two other times is the word worship used in the entire gospel. So this means this text, the one we read this morning, is the defining passage. It is the prime example. It is the portrait of a true worshiper. There are only two people in all of John's gospel who, using this word, worship at Jesus' feet. And they're not who you think they would be. One is this Samaritan woman, and the other is a blind Jewish man. You see, in order to know this morning if you are a true worshiper, you have to know two facts. It's two things that describe people who become true worshipers. This is how they become a true worshiper. And if these two things haven't happened to you, then you are not a true worshiper. They're simple. There's only two. Let me just unpack them one at a time. The first one is this. True worshipers are sought by God through Jesus. Now, the text doesn't be, it's a little further back. The whole story does. In John 4, 4, if you're looking in your Bible, it's a very simple verse, and it reads this. And he had to pass through Samaria. He had to because he was on a mission to seek this woman Now, that's very interesting, and listen to me now. Romans 3 and verse 11 says this. There is none who seeks after God, not one. It is a quotation from Psalm 14 and verse 3, which starts out this way. The fool who has no wisdom has said in his heart, there is no God There is none that seeks after him. See, here's what the Bible says. People don't seek God. They cannot and will not in their sin because their hearts are bound up in foolishness and sinfulness. It's interesting. If you read the entirety of John's gospel, you're going to find that there are two groups that come after Jesus and seek him. The crowds but they don't want him for who he is. They don't see his infinite value and worth. They don't proclaim that Jesus is Messiah or God. You know why they sought him? Because it said he made bread for the 5,000 and they wanted more bread. See, they didn't want Jesus for who he is. They wanted him for what he could do for them. That's one group that seeks Jesus. The other ones are the religious leaders, and they're seeking him, the Bible says, over and over in this gospel, and the reason is they want to kill him. See, they, someone who seeks Jesus, apart from God seeking them, they want him for bread or to be dead. That's about it. People either want Jesus for what he can give to them, and if he doesn't give them what they want, They don't want any part of him. They wish he wasn't in their life at all, i.e. Judas Iscariot. 
who looked like the worshiper, the true worshiper, but we found out he was an imposter. Why? Because the end, Jesus didn't give him what he wanted, and so he got rid of him. In fact, he had part in having him crucified. See, apart from his gifts, do you love him? Do you want to worship him if he didn't give you or do anything that you ever asked him to do? If not, perhaps you're an imposter. Frank Abernale, you maybe read the book or watched the movie, Catch Me If You Can. Before the age of 22, he posed as a lawyer, a doctor in a hospital, got jobs, and actually flew an airline, uh, pl- airlines plane as a pilot and never had done it before. He did all those things before he was 22 and got away with it. Eventually, they caught up with him, but he, has been, he is known as the most well-known, famous imposter of all. See, he looked like he was the thing, real thing, and he acted like it, but he wasn't. See, there is perhaps some people, and even some who might be here today, see, God knows the difference between true worshipers and imposters. Imposters want what they can get from Jesus, and they're only God-seekers if it makes it better for them to be self-seekers. But they're not seeking God, not in the way the Bible teaches that we should. But Jesus is. And in John 4, 4, it says he had to. He had to go through Samaria. It's the word must. See, Jesus had to go where no one else wanted to go because it was a must for him. The word means necessary. It was absolute to him. He had to go through there. Almost everybody in Jesus' day went around Samaria, especially if you're a Jewish, especially if you're a rabbi, because Samaritans were unclean. No one wanted to hang out with Samaritans. Jews and Samaritans, to say the least, did not get along together whatsoever. They were enemies. Jesus doesn't take the circuitous route around. He goes straight through, it says. And the reason he did is because he had to. He had to go. Why? Because this woman will never seek him. He had to seek her. She wanted God and had God to some degree in her life, but just a little bit. Wilbur Reese puts it this way, and I quote, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul, not enough to disturb my sleep. You see, I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the eternal God in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. See, just enough God just enough to have some security that there's someone else out there to get the things you want when you see that's where this woman was and in her sinful condition she would never seek after god but jesus seeks after her why because in our text john 4:23 says and the father is seeking true worshipers that's who god is when you're not seeking him he is seeking you John 4, 644 puts it this way. No one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws him. You do not work it up to get to God. He comes down to work for you. You see, that woman to, came to the well that day to draw water. Jesus came to the well to draw her to him. 
You might say, Pastor Walker, and then who does the Father through Jesus seek to worship him? Who is it? Can I tell you boldly? Not who you think. (laughs) Not who you think at all. The very one that Jesus seeks is a true, to be a true worshiper, to become a true worshiper, is a Samaritan woman. She is the first true worshiper in John's gospel. She becomes a true worshiper, and I want you to see it. Listen, not because of who she is and not because of what she's done. Follow me. Throughout the text, in fact, a dozen times, a dozen times in this chapter, the only identification marker given to her is woman. We never know her name. She is completely anonymous. She's a woman. She's identified by her gender. And here's the crazy thing about it is women were not to speak to men in public. Believe it or not, if you are a rabbi, your wife in Jewish culture had had to walk 10 spaces behind you and she did not talk to you in public. And especially a woman who's not Jewish, a woman who's got problems in her life. Rabbis didn't talk with women in crowds, much less alone. But here is Jesus having a conversation with this woman. Why would he do that? Why would he go there? Why would he go to that well? Why would he talk to that woman? Why would he do it to you? It's not based on who you are. It's based on who God is. You know who he is? He's a seeker. He did, he did not have a meeting with Nicodemus that first time in the chapter previous in chapter 3. See, Nicodemus didn't become a true worshiper that day. Eventually he did. But if you read the story with Jesus and Nicodemus, he says he's called man a number of times, but they also call him by his name But not this woman. She never gets a name. She remains anonymous. But can I tell you this? No matter who she was in culture and how everybody looked at her as a woman, it did not change in Jesus' mind, nor did it prohibit him from seeking her because a woman was not the reason he came. She's also a Samaritan. Six different times it says a Samaritan woman or she's from Samaria. And you got to realize again, this is a known enemy. Jesus, as a Jew, would never talk to her, not only because she's a woman, but because she's a Samaritan. Samaritans were looked at as half-breeds. They were half-Jewish, half-Samaritan. They didn't worship right. They didn't read all the Bible correctly. And there was a lot of things that were wrong with Samaritans as far as Jews were concerned. Everyone would have looked down on this woman who was a Jew. Everyone but Jesus. He didn't look down on her. He didn't see her through those eyes. He didn't see her through that lens. It didn't prohibit her becoming a true worshiper, did it? Here's why. Because when God seeks true worshipers, it isn't about your skin color. Look around the auditorium today, and you'll know this. That God doesn't seek people because you're a male or a female. He doesn't seek you because you're white or black or brown or Indian or any other background or nationality or ethnicity. That's not the basis on which God is seeking us. It's not your social status. It's not how prominent you are. It's not what everybody else thinks you are or you aren't. That is not the basis for God seeking you. Nor is it your religiosity because she gets into this talk with Jesus about, hey, you worship in Jerusalem and you have your temple and we worship on Mount Gerizim. Although our temple got destroyed, we still worship there. And in chapter four, verse 12, she says to him, do you think that you're greater than our father, Jacob? 
It's our father. So you guys have father. You think Abraham. We think Jacob. And then later on in chapter 4 and verse 20, she said, our fathers worshiped here. Your fathers basically worshiped there. And she wants to refer to her tradition. She wants to say, hey, I grew up in church and this is what we do. We have our own temple and we have our own way of doing things. And Jesus wants her to know that it's not based on your religiosity. I didn't come to seek you or not seek you based on any of that. And you may think, hey, I'm a true worshiper because I'm in a Baptist church, but that doesn't make you a true worshiper. It's not your denominational affiliation. It's not your traditions. It's not how you grew up in your family. Those things may be well and good. But God is seeking you this morning And it has anything to do with your religiosity, your gender, your race, or your background. Also, notice her lifestyle. Jesus tells her, go get your husband. I want to talk to him. And she says to him, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right. That is the right, true answer. You have no husband because you've had five husbands. Ouch. And the one you have now is not your husband. Now, that either means two things. Either she had five husbands and they all had died one after another, and now she lives with her brother. Or she's had five husbands because she's been immoral. And now the guy that she has in her life, now that she lives with, he's not even her husband anymore. That's not strike three, that's strike Six. Wow. Five husbands, live-in boyfriend. Nobody wants her. You know that, right? Nobody wants her. Why do you think she comes to the well in the middle of the day? Nobody came in a Middle Eastern climate to the well when it was was the hottest. The only reason you'd come at noon is what? Because you know nobody else would be there because you don't want to talk to anybody else. You know why? Because no one wanted her. No one. Have you ever felt that way? You ever come to church or even to a family gathering and you're sitting around and everyone's talking and, and you still feel by yourself alone? You ever feel that? Oh, on the outside, you may not show it and people think you're happy and everything's great, but it's a whole other story on the inside, isn't it? alone. Nobody wants me. Does anyone really care? See, this woman had a history of husbands and it had taken away from her everything she ever probably ever wanted in life. And now she's alone. She has to even hide out and go to the well at noon when no one else is there. But see, it's not just ancient Samaritan women. It's modern ones. Let me tell you two true, can I tell you two seeker stories? about two modern Samaritan women that I met. The first, her name is Leaston. When I first met Leaston, she was addicted to heroin. And although she was only in her 20s, she'd already been addicted to heroin for a number of years. She was 24. She looked about 44. Sorry about that if you're in your 40s. She wasn't eating much. The only thing she would eat most of the time unless someone gave her food, was she stuffed her pockets with sugar packets. You know, if you're on heroin, that's a good, in their mind, substitute to keep you going. She was paper thin. 
She lived in a rundown home, and if you ever walked in there, and my wife and another people from our ministry at the time when I was downtown at Mosaic went in to clean her house, you would never believe that people lived there. I mean, you had to find a place to walk. Trash, and I'll leave it at that, needles, other things, all over the place, everywhere. She lived in a part of town that no one would choose to live in, but when you have no other choice, that's where you live. She didn't have any husbands. Oh, but she had a lot of boyfriends, more than five, because her body was the way that she got another hit. And that was the life that Leaston lived. Can I tell you this? No one wanted her. No one wanted her. Jesus did. Because Jesus was seeking Leaston. He wanted to make her a true worshiper. Not long after that, I met a girl named Diana Her boyfriend, whose name was Justin, he's been in our church here. He was a gang member in the Cribs. And they were on heroin as well. She was in her 40s, and actually he was close to that. They lived in abandoned house after abandoned house. They would go from house to house. They didn't want anything to do with God at first. But Diana was really alone because when she got on heroin and, and took her... She would tell her family, I need some money. She would spend it all. And she did this so many times that they decided to turn their back on her. Her mom and dad didn't want her. Her own daughter that she had never wanted to see her again. Those were her words. And often when we walked down the street, Diana would cry about all of those things. No one wanted Diana. Only the guy who was on heroin from the cribs. But Jesus did. He came seeking them in their darkest days like he did this ancient Samaritan woman. And I'm glad to be able to tell you that both Leaston and Diana called on Jesus to be their Lord and Savior and became true worshipers of his glory. I remember not long after that, I saw Leaston, after I hadn't seen her for a while, I walked in to eat at Olive Garden with someone from church, and there was Leaston serving in the restaurant, I could hardly acknowledge, I didn't know it was her at first because she wasn't skinny anymore. She had put on some weight. She looked normal. She, her face was, had cleared up from the drugs and everything else, and she was happy, and I talked to her. What a change and a difference in her life. Diana, oh, she got in a halfway house. She made progress. She got a job, and even to this day, she still from time to time will call me and thank God for what he did in her life. True worshipers, true, who would have ever thought it? How is it possible, Pastor Walker, ancient Samaritan women, modern one, how does God do that? Why would he do that? I don't know your history this morning, but he can do that for you. And maybe yours is not a history of heroin, but rather yours is a history of hate or hopelessness or hypocrisy or hiding or hurting all the time. Can I tell you this morning, you are wanted You are loved. Others may think that you are trash to be discarded, but not the savior of the world. Today you're wanted, and today God is seeking you. You, yes, you, you are on his most wanted list. How could that happen, Pastor Walker? Why would God seek people like that? Why doesn't he get the good people, the upright people, the middle class people? Why doesn't he just go after them? People that can give something back. Because there's a second fact you have to know. 
about people who become true worshipers. It's not that they are just sought by God through Jesus. They are saved by God through Jesus. You see, the Samaritan woman wanted to argue with Jesus in our text. If you read verses 21 and 22, look at the Bible. They had this conversation. She says, hey, I know you're a prophet, and I, I know you think that we should wor- worship in Jerusalem at the Temple Mount, but we have a temple here in Gerizim, and which one is the right one? Which one is the true worship place? She was all about the where of worship. She really cared about the place. But Jesus changes the question on her. And by the way, if you ever get serious with him and he confronts your life, you will be asking all kinds of questions which he won't answer. But instead, you know what he does? He changes the questions. He wants to ask the questions to you that you really need to answer. And so he does with this woman. She wants to know where does one go for true worship? Jesus changes it. Where does God go to make True worshipers, because that's what matters most. He says, you know what the time is? The time is now, and God is seeking true worshipers. God is coming after Samaritans. God is coming after women who have histories of husbands. God is coming after the people that you might never think he would. And it's not the where of worship Jesus is telling her. It is the who of worship that matters the most. You see, God's glory does not dwell in a place anymore. It's not in a temple either here nor there. You see, Jesus is saying this to her. God's glory is not there. There's a coming. You know where his glory? His glory doesn't dwell in a place. His glory dwells in a person, namely Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Do you see it? Do you see what that means in our text? That means she's arguing Where is the true place of worship? Where is the true temple when the true temple of God is staring her in the face? The one to whom the glory of God dwells, he is talking to her, but she doesn't get it. Jesus had already said as much in chapter 2 of John's gospel in verse 19, destroy this temple, meaning the one that was built, and I will raise it up in the third day on in three days. Why? Because here's what Jesus is saying. It's not the place, it's the person. I'm the temple of God. Do you see what he's telling her? To be a true worshiper, you don't have to go to this temple or that temple. You have to come to God's temple. Jesus is saying you have to come, listen, to me. I mediate salvation. He said salvation is of the Jews. And you know the word salvation in Hebrew is Yahshua, a little different emphasis. And Jesus' name is the exact thing. Same word, just in the noun form. You know what he's saying? You want to be saved? You want to become a true worshiper? You come to me. I'm the one who gives salvation. It's me. Not a place, a person. Pastor Walker, then how do I know this person? How can I get the salvation? How can I become a true worshiper knowing who I am? Well, Jesus lets us know that. He says two little terse phrases back to back in verses 21 and 23. Look at the text. The hour is coming. And then he says it even more pointedly. The hour is coming, listen, and is now here. 
Every time the little phrase, and it's a numerous times, 11 to be exact, between chapters 4 and 17, he says the hour, the hour, the hour. It's like the ball dropping in New York City. It's counting down when the new year comes. Every time in this text, when he says the hour, it's the cross. That's what it refers to. Dying, it's getting a little closer, a little closer. It's not the ball dropping. When will the cross drop on Jesus? Because that's the hour. That's why he came. And he's telling this woman... See, the hour is coming, and now, you know, soon I am going to go to the cross. I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to pay the penalty for your sins. That's how you become a true worshiper. True worshipers are saved by God through Jesus. Through what from Jesus? His death, burial, and resurrection. It's his death for our sins. That was the hour He wanted the woman to know about because when you believe in that, listen, it changes your worship forever. Her life, can I say it this way, verse 18, she says, now you have a man who lives with you and you had five husbands. See, she had a now and it was filled with sin. And Jesus says, I want to replace your now with mine. Now the hour has come. See, I want to trade your sinful life for my sinless life. I want your death, my life. I can give it to you. You can trade your now for his. Do you hear what he's saying? True worshipers can be changed now. Now, since Jesus has died and rose again, I can change your life. I don't care what your past is. I don't care who you've been. I don't care what you are. I don't care what religion you have. See, I can make you a true worshiper from the inside out. I can change your life forever if you will let me seek you. If you'll respond to that and come to me, I can make you a true worshiper by my grace. See, it's all supernatural. The seeking and the saving is all of God, beginning to end. That's why he said to Zacchaeus, see, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, Luke 19.10. And Jesus says, how will you know it? How will you know it if you're a true worshiper? Well, here's what it looks like. You will worship God twice, he says it, in spirit and truth. See, when the spirit of God works to come into your life and regenerates you by his gracious work, when the spirit of God comes into you, you will understand truth about Jesus, who John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. See, when the Spirit of God comes in you and regenerates you, you will know the truth that Jesus is the Son of God, that he paid the penalty for your sins, that he rose again, and that, no matter who you are, what you've done, that is how people become true worshipers. Again, the question this morning is this, is that you? Are you truly, really, a true worshiper of God. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I wonder on judgment day when God asks, will the true worshipers please stand? Will you be able to rise or will you have to be Remain seated. If you've been depending on yourself, your religiosity, your morality, 
your goodness. If you think those things will earn you God's favor in a place in heaven, may I kindly say, according to scriptures, you're wrong. And I tell you that out of love because I want you, by God's grace, to be a true worshiper. I want you to realize this, that the only reason that you have inclinations to think about that this morning is because God perhaps is seeking you. He's always the initiator. We love him because he first loved us. He's always the initiator. And this morning, perhaps he brought you here this morning to initiate that love with you. Oh, you might say, I've been Catholic, I've been Baptist, I've been Lutheran, I've been Presbyterian. I do as best I can. I take the sacraments. I try to be kind. Can I tell you this? You have to be saved by Jesus. You have to come to the true temple. You have to recognize that it's his death and resurrection, not your goodness, his, that erases your sins and makes you right with God. Perhaps this morning there are some here to say, Pastor Walker, I've been religious. I've been all those things. And my, I, my history may not be husbands or heroin, but I've got my own. But I want to become a true worshiper of his glory tonight. I, I'm not. I'm not, according to the, I'm not a true worshiper according to John 4. But I believe God is seeking me, and I want to respond to him in faith and put my trust in Jesus alone. With every head bowed and every eye closed, in the balcony, in the main floor, would you raise your hand? And say, Pastor Walker, pray for me. I want to become a true worshiper of his glory today. Would you just do that? Put your hand up real quick. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Anyone? Please raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you for your hand. Thank you. I need to become a true worshiper of his glory. Put my faith in Jesus alone. I see your hand. Thank you. A number of people. Thank you. I see your hand as well. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Perhaps you're here this morning and you are a true worshiper. You remember the time and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus and you've been trying to follow and worship him, but you'd have to say, Pastor Walker, I'm not devoted as I once was. My loyalty and allegiance is very questionable. Other things have come into my life that I've started to worship. And the validity and the truth of it is hard to see. And I want to come, and can I say it this way? Come and say, God, I want to give you true worship. I know you, but my life hasn't shown it. It hasn't shown it in my worship. And I don't mean publicly here at church in the worship of your life, 24-7, 365. Please pray for me, Pastor Walker. Would you lift your hand? I'll also pray for you in a few moments. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Number in this section as well. Anyone else? In just a moment, we're going to pray, but would you listen to me very, very intently here for a moment? In a moment, we're going to sing a song, His Mercy is More. Praise God for that. If you raise your hand in the first question I asked, and you would say, I need to become a true worshiper, I'm going to ask you to do something, and don't hesitate we ask you to come forward. Don't worry what anyone else thinks. We're all here and we want you to become a true worshiper. You are amongst friends. Come forward and let someone here from our church take the Bible and show you how you today can become a true worshiper of Jesus. 
for the rest of your life and for all eternity. I don't care if you're in the balcony on the main floor. As we sing in just a moment, would you come? As we sing in just a moment, we're going to have a song and you come. That's all right. You can come now. It's fine too. Mm -hmm. You can come. If you'll have a seat right there, that'd be fantastic just for a moment. If you would come, we'll have someone show you. And today you could become a true worshiper of his glory and join this one who's come. Would you do that? Don't hesitate. I'll meet you down front. All you have to say, Pastor Walker, I want to be a true worshiper of the Lord. Father, your word is truth. May your Holy Spirit and the very power that raised Jesus from the dead May it be obvious in the way that you work in hearts and lives. Even now, give us humility as we receive your word with meekness. May you engraft it into the lives of those who come that their life, their death might turn to life and their darkness might turn to light and they might leave here knowing that they are forgiven, that they are saved, that they are true worshipers of your glory. Oh Lord, Have your way in our hearts through your spirit now, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen.